0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the
1: Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Don't forget to top of the hour random player of the day. Also afterwards, uh, Kelly Rudy from Hockey Night in Canada, former NHL netminder, will be aboard as well. One of the things bracketed to uh, to ask Kelly: Do goalie coaches belong in the Hall of Fame? Uh, we'll get into that amongst other NHL issues around the uh, around the league. Uh, and Bruce Cassidy, head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights tonight. The Vegas Golden Knights face off against the Minnesota Wild. We saw it on Saturday. Run it back one more time because when those two teams get together, like this has historically been the truth. Styles make great fights, they used to always say, about boxing. And the same thing can be said about hockey games. And for whatever reason, when Minnesota and Vegas hook up, it's usually an awesome game, all three periods, full 60 and sometimes plus. Uh, in the meantime, uh, last week, not exactly great for the Carolina Hurricanes, but this weekend, very good. A blanking of the Montreal Canadiens, 3-0 in a very tilted rink game. That score is very kind to Montreal. And then a 2-1 uh, to shading of the New York Islanders yesterday. Joining me to talk about the Carolina Hurricanes is studio analyst and former NHLer Shane Willis. Shane, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this.
2: Thanks, Jeff. I am great. I'm looking forward to a final stretch of the season coming up.
1: Yeah. How's the, how's the, uh, how's the, how's the team feeling here? Like I always look at some teams and say, you know, there are just some squads that say, look, just get us to the, the beginning of the season, just get us to the playoffs. You know, that's where all the answers are. The regular season, not that it's meaningless, but you know, everything that we want to do this year hinges around what we do in the post season, Carolina, clearly one of those teams. Um, How is the crew feeling right now after a couple of back-to-back wins?
2: Well, I think their confidence continues to grow, but I think it's one of the things when you come into training camp is, what is our goal? And obviously your overarching goal is to try and win a Stanley Cup, but to win that or get the opportunity, you have to check the box and get into the playoffs. This team has played so well the entire season. They've been in first place for the majority of the season in the Metro Division, and, I think things are tightening up because New Jersey and the Rangers are playing so well, but again, you can't look past the Carolina Hurricanes and the way they played <clears throat> these past few games against some good opponents the last week against the Rangers, you know splitting going one and one, and then last night against a very tight Islanders team, I thought this team dominated throughout once again, not as dominant as the Montreal game, but just going at the Islanders wave after wave and it impressed me the most, which is how hard this team works, not only in the offensive zone to retrieve pucks, but how they're coming back defensively and making sure that their defenseman can stand up and create that transition game for them.
1: You know, I look at the Carolina Hurricanes, and uh, I've always said, well, I shouldn't say always, I mean the past few seasons, I've said this is the, the most new school, old school team that we have in the NHL in that I think a lot of their decisions are guided by analytics and guided by, you know, measuring the game in one specific way. But the way that Rod Brindamore has the Carolina Hurricanes playing is more than just a little bit old school. Um, how do you look at this Carolina team? And when I say they're a, the, the, the new school, old school team of the NHL, does that resonate with you?
2: Um, Yeah, I actually love that analogy. I might steal that from you, Jeff, um, next week (laughs) during the game. But I I agree because Rod is, when he looks at the game, obviously he knows how much the game has changed. And he knows it has to be played with speed. Your defensemen have to be active, up the spice, helping offensively, which the Hurricanes have. Their defensemen together as a group lead the National Hockey League in points. But when you go back to old school, When you talk about hard work and grinding in the trenches and really working for your opportunities, this team is built around that. And when you have a captain like Jordan Stahl who leads the way with his size and presence out there, they just continue to push Mm. pucks into areas that, as you talk about the new NHL with some of these young superstars, not really the way a lot of them want to play the game. You know, it's that razzle-dazzle, let's finesse it around. This team will grind you into the ground in the trenches to create their chances and, but they can play at a high rate of speed, too. Sebastian Ajo, an elite-level player, utilizes that through the neutral zone, along with the defensemen being as active as they are, and Brady Shea having a career high with 17 goals now in the back end.
1: You know, I uh, the the one thing that I always come back to is, you know, the idea of, we keep hearing, oh, it's a puck possession game, hang on to the puck, hang on to the puck, don't surrender it, don't surrender it. You know, the Carolina Hurricanes have always been one of, and at times, the best puck retrieval team in the league, like the idea of strategically surrendering the puck because you can retrieve it better than your opponent. I know it's not the way that the game is evolving towards, but it's funny. Like I look at Carolina and I say, you know, once upon a time, not too long ago, this was the Carolina Hurricanes team that were, you know, very involved in, you know, what their underlying numbers um, looked like. And I remember talking to someone from the Canes, and where i was remarking on you know the the first period they always have like you know 20 shots you know in the first period and one of the players said to me like look uh we know how our team is constructed we know how our team thinks what we're doing in the first period to be blunt is we're just warming up our course that's what we're doing here we're getting our shots on net. we're warming up our course and now here's this team that is marvelous and i mean marvelous at retrieving the pucks and that is sure it's skill But that is just flat-out you know, Rod Brindamore-inspired hard work. Do you have a thought on that one?
2: Well, a couple things come to mind for me. One, how this team skates because they are quick. And I think puck retrieval, you have to be quick. You have to be on your toes. The other big part to me is how well they work seamlessly together. As soon as one guy has the puck on the boards, they are all in motion because they know where that puck is going to go. And they anticipate to get there first. And then go back to a hard work category where Rod Brennamore focuses on. You have to win 50-50 battles. And when you look at these team going into the corner, once they retrieve the puck, or if it's 50-50, they're coming up with a time after time again. They're getting the pucks to the point, and then they're getting shots through for guys who are grinding to get to the front of the net. So that's a big thing to me is how seamless this team works together, how they read off of each other, because they know. People may say, this is a pretty simple system, but it's also pretty tough to beat when they're on their toes and everything's working as seamless as it has been this entire season.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, there's, um, there's two players. Well, really, I mean, there's a a number of players, but of most recent note, um, there's two players that I'm really happy for recently. Uh, One is Jesse Pugliarvi. Uh, you know, nice to see some, some production from Paul Yarvey. I understand why it, it, it had run sour in Edmondson, and, you know, no surprise that it's the Carolina Hurricanes that, that pick him up. Um, and also, Jesperi cut Kinyemi, the, the, the two fins here. And, you know, going back to his draft, and I know that Montreal, when they drafted him, you know, Mark Bergevan and, and that group always you know, tended to have a history of rushing players. This goes back to Galchenyuk. Rushing players to the NHL quickly. And maybe Espari Kinyemi was a victim of that. But when you look at Kotkaniemi and V together right now on a recent note, are we starting to see the players that everybody thought these two guys could be, Shane?
2: Well, I See, has been here a little bit longer, so I've seen his growth a little bit more than Puyi Arby, but he has definitely taken steps forward in the right direction. Uh, Puyi Arby hits the post last night. You can see it in his face. He just wants one to go in so bad because he has been so energized yeah. since arriving here along with a lot of Fins that he's played with before. But I think the best part about the Hurricanes organization, and when you look at his coaching staff and Rod Brennamore, Jeff Daniels, and Tim Gleason, is the belief that they put in the players – no matter where they come from. They're going to jump in the trenches with you and work with you to show you how hard you have to play and be that everyday NHLer, um, as we hear coaches talk about it all the time. And I think the enthusiasm that both these guys had since they arrived and the buy-in they have is showing in their progression. Now, once again, Koki has been here a lot longer, and he's taken more steps forward. But mm-hmm. it's an area that I think Puyo can continue to grow and thrive in and, and find that game now. When I watch him play, he's so big and strong and physical. I don't think that was the player that Emerton drafted or thought they were getting. Um, But he can play kind of a big, strong power game around the net. I think the system that is here in Carolina is one that he can thrive in and utilize his size more.
1: You know, I mentioned um, uh, I mentioned before you came on that you know I was, I was using the the Vegas Minnesota um, game as a, as an example. There are just some teams that when they get together, I mean it's it's must see television and it's a it's a, a ticket you have to buy if you're in the if you're in the market. Um, Minnesota and and Vegas always produce really good games. I mean, you're there for all of these which is the team that mixes best with Carolina, that if Carolina is playing Team X, you better make sure you watch the full three periods? Who's that team?
2: Well, a couple come to mind, maybe not so much this year, but it it has been the Washington Capitals in years past. But the one that really jumps out to me, and the Hurricanes have fallen a few times, them in the playoffs before, is the Boston Bruins. And when you look at the Eastern Conference right now, as well as they have played all season long, but just the way that the Hurricanes always step on the ice and say, let's go. We'll, go, we'll go to battle with you for 60 minutes and we'll see where the cards lay at the end of the day. Um, that's a game and that's a series that if this continues to roll along and both these teams advance, will be uh, much-watched TV in the Eastern Conference Final.
1: You know, there was, uh, I remember being at the Memorial Cup in Windsor uh, a number of years ago. I think this was 2000, ah, maybe 17. And, you know, the Windsor Spitfires, you know, ended up winning the the entire thing. And they had a really great, a excellent blue line led by uh, Mikhail Sergachev. And, you know, Sean Day was on that blue line. They got some really, really good players. And so was Jalen Chatfield. And I remember I was working it with Colby Armstrong and Colby said, Jalen Chatfield is going to play in the NHL one day. And I'm like, ah, come on, Colby overager. He's, you know, he's going to scuffle. he'll be a career minor leaguer AHL guy. Colby was right and I was wrong. Your thoughts on Jalen Chatfield in the NHL? Well,
2: number one, when you, when you look inside this locker room and something the head coach looks for all the time is character. So go back and look at Jalen Chatfield's road to get to where he is today. The hard work he's put in, dedication to work in his craft. Really number one, how well Jalen Chatfield skates. And I think that's probably one thing that jumped out to Colby when he watched the World Cup was he can move. He can really get up and down the ice, he can move laterally. But I think the hard work he's put in since arriving at training camp has just taken him two, three, four steps forward. I remember watching the first month of the season and Tim Gleason was saying how much he liked how he was playing, and, I, I, you know, you could see a little bit of growth in his game. But all of a sudden, he just exploded. One of the pucks went in the net for him, and the way he started skating and the confidence builds in him. And now he is one of those everyday NHL guys you need on your back end. And you could say he's number five, maybe he's number six right now for the Hurricanes, but then you go up the roster, and you could argue the Hurricanes for a full six guys on a roster have one of the best, if not arguably the best defensive core in the National Hockey League because of how they move, the production they have. They lead the league in points, like I said. Um, Brady Shea having a career year with 17 goals. You have the veteran Brent Burns. And then two guys that never get talked about enough in Jacob Slavin and Brett Pesci. So you look at the core, but as you said, Jalen Chatfield, what an addition to this team and the buy-in he's had since day one has just, Kind of jumped out and really been magnified because of the the path he's had to get here, and, and this team loves having him inside that locker room.
1: How is the Brent Burns experience for you and the uh, the Carolina Hurricanes? I mean, I love him. Going back to you know when he played junior in the OHL, uh, he is one of the most distinct and unique personalities of the game. Um, I wish the game had more brent burns's uh, in the league what 's it been like for the Carolina hurricanes, and for you as a broadcaster as well, I mean players like that show up in the organization you 're like, "Oh, what a gift how's uh, how 's burns been for you
2: well there 's no question from a broadcast side. He brings a little flair he 's always open to answering any questions he gives very thoughtful answers when he 's listening to your questions from a broadcast side, but he just brings that flair immediately into the room. He is a character inside that locker room. I think it's something that this locker room actually needed a little bit more of a energy spark kind of guy inside there. But since day one, I think the one thing that's impressed Rod Brindamore is his work ethic as well. How Uh hard this guy works off the ice to make sure, you know, at his age, he's ready to go each and every day and continues to play the same way. Everyone wants that kind of defenseman, the right-handed offensive defenseman jumping up and down the ice and, Brent Burns has been that since day one. He sits third on the team with 56 points um, leading the way defensively, but getting paired alongside a guy like Jacob Slavin makes Brent Burns that much more dangerous because either one of them can jump up in the rush, but when he knows he's going, Jacob Slavin's a rock defensively and nothing's going to break down behind him. So I think Brent Burns has enjoyed his first season here so far, but again, he came here for one thing and not only to get in the playoffs, but then to make that deep run and, and hoist the Stanley Cup, and a big reason why he said he would come to Carolina. And, um, you know, he's been a welcome addition across the board.
1: You know, I mean, you know this. I mean, Dallas tried really hard last summer <laughs> to get it. It was like full full court press. Joe Pavelski, Pete DeBoer, everybody trying to get. Uh, trying to get brent burns uh, to, to dallas and uh, carolina gets him and it's, it's it's worked out well so six games remaining uh, on the nhl schedule for the carolina hurricanes uh, tomorrow against the ottawa senators and then they'll conclude on the 13th against the florida panthers how do you see rod handling this team in the last six games here we are two weeks away uh, from the playoff starting how does the head coach handle the team
2: I think he's one of the most focused guys you ever meet, so I don't think he's going to change anything at all, and he's going to press this team to get even better than they are now. Um, Five-on-five play, the balance he had last night throughout his four lines playing wave after wave was really impressive to me. I think the one area that they'll continue to work on, as you know, when you get in the playoffs, you want to have a hot power play, and I think that's one area that the Hurricanes yeah. Are a little bit cold on right now is the power play production. The flip side of that that counters that is their penalty kill is through the roof and unbelievable um, and doesn't give up anything in these games. So I think that's one area you want to see as many pucks going in the back of the net as you possibly can. But overall, I think you want to see that structure from your team and the hard work that you saw last night against the Islanders continue for these six games. Little guys get rested. I'm not sure. I think winning the Metro Division is so important and it's too tight to kind of take your foot off the gas and say, hey, let's rest for a couple games. And people can look at the schedule and say, oh, the cave's got a nice schedule finishing things off, but teams like Ottawa, teams like Buffalo, Nashville, these guys have things to prove, and these young players are coming to work every single day to try and get wins as well. So there's never an easy game in the NHL, and I think Rod Burnham will continue to press his team to be the best they can be for these final six games.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, Shane, this has been great. Uh, two wins in a row. Uh, big one coming up tomorrow against Ottawa. I mean, Carolina's got the dreaded four-game week. The, yesterday, the Islanders, and then Ottawa, Nashville, uh, Buffalo on Saturday. So a lot of hockey on the horizon for the Hurricanes. Um, Shane, thanks so much for stopping by. I really appreciate your insight and expertise, and we'll we'll catch up down the road. I think Carolina's poised for some, some big things here in the postseason. Thanks so much for joining me today.
2: Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you in the playoffs.
1: Yes, sir. Shane Willis, Carolina Hurricane studio analyst, a three-point lead over the Devils uh, for top spot in the Metropolitan Division. And as much as we're, I think, all looking forward to, uh, albeit maybe for different reasons, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs facing off against the Tampa Bay Lightning in the opening round. There is a special place in my heart, and we'll see what happens here. six games remaining that says, please, 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 give me the Devils and the Rangers in the opening round as well. Uh, thanks to Shane Willis for stopping by. Uh, coming up, Random Player of the Day, also Kelly Rudy from Hockey Night in Canada, Bruce Cassidy, uh, Vegas Golden Knights, Ed Coach. Plenty of show to get to. Hour one in the books, hour two on the horizon. The Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Hour is coming up.
2: And in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: All right, welcome to Hour 2. Thanks so much for joining me today. Kelly Rudy is on the horizon. Uh, He'll stop by here in a couple of moments. Bottom of the hour, Bruce Cassidy, head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, It is Vegas facing off against Minnesota, a matchup that we saw on Saturday. Uh, Laurent Boissois outstanding uh, in that one and he's really been great um, and sty- this man styles make great games and the Minnesota Wild and the Vegas Golden Knights when they get together usually great games happen so very much looking forward uh, to this one this evening in the meantime Matt Marchese our producer joining me now for the random player of the day hello Matty how are you pal
3: I'm good Jeffy how are you
1: Good, man. So the concept is simple. Uh, people email in their, uh, their random players of the day. A name pops through your head. Show at sportsnet.ca is the email address. Um, and we filter through them and get them on the air here. And who sent in who today, Matty Marchese?
3: Uh, this one was sent in by Ken Tosin and Todd Armstrong. So another double. We've had a few of these. Okay. Um, and it is defenseman Barry Beck.
1: Bubba, um, from uh, Bubba Smith of the Baltimore Colts. That's how he got his uh, nickname. He is, by the way, no pressure, Maddie. Someone that I've always wanted to talk to. Like, there's a lot of guys from the alumni that I've always wanted to, to talk to on the air. Barry Beck is one of them. Uh, so tuck that one away for future uh, for future bookings. Merrick's always wanted to talk to Barry Beck because he's had such a such an interesting career, had such an interesting career, and still continues uh, to be involved in, uh, in the world of hockey, albeit in Hong Kong. More on that in a moment. Uh, left shot defenseman, a uh, combination of strength and skill. Uh, and did I mention strength uh, and intimidation? Uh, was a football player growing up as well. Apparently was a really good basketball player as well. Uh, gravitated towards hockey, uh, which was his first love. Um, drafted second overall in 1977 draft. That is the Dale McCourt draft, who went first overall to the uh, Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Bubba was drafted by the Colorado Rockies second overall. Um, played his junior on a legendary team, Maddie, the new Westminster Bruins. Uh, coached by the legend who is still with us, and I love it. Uh, Ernie Punch McLean won the Memorial Cup in 1977. Actually, I think that New West team went to the Memorial Cup three years in a row, culminating with that 1977 victory uh, where Barry Beck was the MVP of the tournaments. Um, Played with Brad Maxwell, who was his D partner from people of of my vintage. uh, We'll remember Brad Maxwell, certainly from from the Minnesota North Stars. That is one, take my word for it, very tough D combination, Brad Maxwell uh, and Barry Beck. Uh, in the NHL, after a couple of seasons with the uh, with the Rockies traded to the New York Rangers in the Lucien DeBlois deal, Pat Hickey also going the other way uh, in that one, had a horrible feud with Rangers head coach Ted Sater, actually walked out on the team and said, I'm not playing for this guy anymore. Philes Bazito was a general manager, tried to get him back. Um, and uh, Beck relented. No, 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 I'm not coming back. I'm not playing for Ted Sater. Um, they ended up, you'll love this story. You know, you've heard this one before, Maddie. Um They ended up firing Ted Sater and bringing in Michelle Bergeron, the petit tigre, the little tiger. Are from the Quebec Nordiques. They traded, yes, a coach was actually traded once. They traded a first round draft pick, the Rangers did, to the Quebec Nordiques in exchange for Michel Bergeron. Do you know who that pick turned into?
3: What year would that have been? I think it's 87. 87? It, it was a first round pick. 87. It wasn't.
1: I'll give it to you, wasn't, Joe Sakic.
3: That's what I was gonna say. It wasn't Joe Sakic, was it? It's
1: <laughs> <laughs> Joe Sakic. They had taken Brian Fogarty uh, earlier in the first round, and then they used a Ranger pick uh, to grab uh, to grab Joe Sakic. Tidy little bit, little bit of business there by the Quebec Nordiques, and that was enough to bring back uh, to bring back Barry back into the New York Rangers uh, fold. Um, ended up having shoulder issues. Actually, when he had the shoulder issues, took time off. I think he had surgery, but he also got a tattoo on his shoulder of a killer whale thinking that it had magical healing powers. His tattoo had magical healing properties, ended up finishing up with Rogie Vachon's Los Angeles Kings, and I don't know when exactly he moved to Hong Kong, but he's been involved in in youth hockey and, and running camps there and hockey at the grassroots level. Um, in Hong Kong, as a rookie with the Rockies, he scored 22 goals. Uh, that was a rookie record for defensemen that stood until Brian Leach of the Rangers came along and broke it. Um, 22 goals as a rookie you'd think would be enough to win the Calder Trophy as a rookie of the year, but not so fast. He lost it to some guy named Mike Bossy, who is uh, kind of good in his own right there, Maddie. So that is Barry Bubba. And by the way, one of the toughest guys in his era and in his era there were there were giants like there was the clark gillies and the ben wilson's and like really large scary dudes and barry beck was right in there with all of them there you go random player of the day barry beck do you have anything to color that in with maddie
3: Yes. Uh, so the 22, 22 goals he scored in his rookie year was more than any year he sco- uh, more than any he scored in junior in a season, which is very interesting. Albeit mm-hmm. he played a few more games, but still the NHL. Um, the other thing was yep. <laughs> when you look at his stats, he had over three hundred penalty minutes playing for the Langley Lords. It was three hundred and twenty-nine for the Langley <laughs> Lords of the BCHL yeah. as a sixteen-year-old. So he had to go out there and really prove his worth. It's he tough. was also taken second yeah. overall in the same year that he was drafted to the NHL. So same position, same year by the Calgary Cowboys of the WHA.
1: Oh, okay, so he was second pick in the WHA. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Who was who was first in the WHA? That draft, you know? Do you out. have it handy?
3: I have it in because blocks. it was
1: Dale Dale, Dale McCourt was seventy seven in the uh, in the NHL. Who was first in that one? Uh,
3: Scott Campbell
1: by Houston. Oh, so Scott. Okay, Scott Campbell. Didn't he end up playing with the Winnipeg Jets in the WHA?
3: Uh, just checking that now. He played for the Houston Arrows and the Winnipeg Jets. Yes. And then the blues. Yeah,
1: yeah. We just we, we we just lost him not too long ago, I believe. Scott, he was a real I, I met him a couple of times. We interacted on uh, on DM over Twitter. He used to go back and forth on WHA stories. Really, really nice man. Lost touch with him over the years, but really, really nice guy. Anyway, um, there you go. Barry Beck, today's random player of. The day, and with that, we get to someone who I, I don't think, geez, I'm straining my memory here. I'm not sure whether he overlapped with Barry Beck in the Western League, but we will ask. He is Kelly Rudy, a former NHL netminder and now longtime analyst with Hockey Night in Canada. Kelly, how are you today?
4: I'm well, Jeff. How about you? Uh,
1: I'm good. Did you ever? My, my instinct is no, but I don't know, so I'll ask, did you ever overlap with Barry Beck in the Western League?
4: Okay, first of all, I've been listening to your stories, love them as you always know. I always text you, but so I did. Yeah, uh, I've overlapped with Greg Hogood, your random player of the day last week. I think that was last <laughs> Wednesday. I I, I love, yeah, I loved him. He was a great player in today's NHL. He'd be a star because he is undersized at the time. But when uh, yes. Greg and I played together in the NHL, unfortunately, smaller defensemen were frowned upon, even though with that high skill, but. Yes, I did play. I played with yeah. Barry Beck in L.A. You you might remember that. He didn't play the entire full yeah, season. Yeah. We never really did uh, find out why he left us late in the season. I'm not sure what the issue would have been between either the team or Barry. Loved the guy. Um, mm. He was maybe the funniest guy. He's up there with Clark Gillies as maybe the funniest guy I ever played with. And, really? uh Yes, incidentally, Barry sat right beside me in the King's dressing room, so I was the recipient of a million of his jokes, and it was just <laughs> amazing. Now we we did not overlap in the Western Hockey League, although I I, okay. I may have been, you know, it was interesting. So when you were telling all these stories about Punch McLean and the New Westminster Bruins, you know, I immediately went yeah. back into my association with that potentially that organization so i'm sitting at my house in edmonton in the summer of 78 and i was now uh, becoming junior eligible and back then jeff there was no junior draft so you if you if teams thought you were good enough the western hockey league teams would send you letters to come try out so I got two letters. There was uh, ten teams could send you letters. There's no amount of there like there wasn't a limit. So I got a letter from New West and I got a letter from Medicine Hat. Well, I didn't know much about junior hockey. We weren't a you know a, a sports family per se, and so I just got a hockey news and I looked at it and I was like, well, New West they're a powerhouse. I didn't think my I was all that good myself, so I thought well, Medicine Hat they're terrible. So and they're closer to home, so I chose to go to. I medicine hat, I had no idea I was going to make it that first year. Anyway, so that year we're a team of 17-year-olds. So we go to New West, and you're, you're exactly right. Their reputation, they were a fierce organization. Like, these stories are true, Jeff, and I've told you this when we did our radio show together many years ago. No exaggeration. Yeah. I, I don't have to embellish. <clears throat> We'd be there in warm-up, and the Bruins would do three things. They'd come at one point, steal all of our pucks. They would come shoot on me, oh, and or they would take our net away. All three things would happen in a warm-up in, uh, in Queens Park <laughs> Arena in U.S. And and so we were terrified, right? Like, we were a young team of 17-year-olds. But, man, those were great yeah. memories. The, the next year, I can assure you, we had a much tougher team. Patty Janelle was our coach. That never happened, and we stood oh, up yeah. for ourselves. But just great memories. Holy...
1: Yeah, I had wondered because, I mean, listen, that, that Western loop was, you know, raw bone tough and, you know, there were a few tougher than the new Westminster Bruins. But, I mean, there were so many, there were so yep. many colorful coaches. You mentioned, you know, Patty Janelle you mentioned and Ernie yep. Punch McLean and uh, Jack Sangster was Sangster's Gamesters. Sure. Like, it's, it's different now, Kelly. I know and everything. Doug Saw, oh, Doug, great mustache, Doug Sauter, um, yeah, just like wonderful personalities behind the bench, Kelly. Um, outside of the the play, like when you think about the coaches, I mean, I, maybe you don't realize it because you're playing, you know, you're playing hockey and you don't realize what a special time for bench bosses. But that was a really like that was an era where, you know, the coaches themselves were just as colorful and interesting and dynamic as the players that they
4: were sending over the boards, weren't they? Oh yeah, and and I would say, especially in the junior loop, a lot of the fans. Let's say if you were in Medicine Hat or if you were in Lethbridge or wherever you might have been, you might go see the visiting team because of the visiting coach, because of their their if you want to call it flair or what their antics, whatever yeah. might have happened in that to building that night. And so you're you're exactly right. I think organizations also. Uh, hired coaches based on some of those antics as opposed to uh, the record. You know, record, of course, is number one, but some of those guys coming in, oh, holy yeah. cow. It was it was a circus, and, you know, we were participants in a certain degree, but, I mean, uh, some of those guys, they're legendary still. I, I see some of those guys, like... When I used to go to Vancouver, I'd still run into punch. Uh, Every once in a while, I see see John Chapman. He's still scouting in the National Hockey League, and some of these guys that were legendary in the WHL.
1: I just love it. I, I, I just love it. Um, do you ever look back and say, what were we thinking? Like, I'll look back now at games from the 80s, Kelly, and I'll say to myself, holy smokes, I, I, how come the police aren't hitting the ice to arrest these guys?
4: Like, okay, so I've got another like, story. I know we were Okay. Young. You, <laughs> okay. <bet> another story. <laughs> okay. Two of them, in fact. So now that we're going down this road, okay. so we were playing Billings in my first year. And I have a billing story with yeah. Rudy Pillis my next year. So, and I know you're aware of okay. Rudy Pillis. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. So we're playing Billings at home uh, and we had a, a, a guy, let's just say he, he would cross the line often. Mark Uh He was really rugged. He was yep. a guy from here, Calgary. I think he played for us for two years in medicine hat. And so in warmup and back then, of course, wooden sticks. And he literally cross-checked a player in warm-up, at center ice, and broke his stick across the guy's face. Ooh. So we have a full-on brawl. And I don't know, Jeff, if you were ever at the old arena in Madison Hat, but the police uh, station is literally no. in the same. We shared the same parking lot. And so within minutes, the police are uh, on the ice. Uh, a number of players were handcuffed. I want to say that both teams started and finished the game with about seven players on the ice. Uh, I fought both goal- goalies. Um, it was it what? was Yes, it was absolutely crazy. Um and so the next year, so we had this uh, animosity with Billings and we ended up playing them the next year in the first round of the playoffs. We won four three in overtime in the game seven. But Rudy Pillis, so Patty Janelle introduced me to Rudy Pillis after the game in the Billings Arena one time and, and I I had known about Rudy, I'd never met him. But I know that he had coached the The 61 Blackhawks to their Stanley Cup victory, and he's been general manager. Yeah, I think he is the first general manager of the Oakland Seals, and he coached in the WHA, the Winnipeg Jets, when they won the Avco Cup three times. So he was, this was an important person for me to meet. So after the game, Rudy says to me, he goes, Kelly, he said something like, Kelly, there are a lot of parts about your game that I really like, but from time to time, it looks like you're scared of the puck. And, you know, I was a young kid in Shine, I didn't know what to say. I said, yeah, it hurts. You know, I'm thinking back to those days when <laughs> our equipment was terrible. Like, I had bruises all over my body. I still have a dent in my, uh, my left arm, uh, in my bicep from a, a shot uh, in junior. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it hurts. And so we had a good laugh about it. And I ended up getting drafted in the second round that year. But, I mean, those stories are just amazing when you, you take me back to those days.
1: Okay, let me, okay, but before we, I want, I want to get fast forward here and talk about the Calgary Flames, but, but one more question, because you mentioned Billings, and when I think of Billings um, in that era, Kelly, and when I think of, you know, games that took four hours and, you know, yeah. gloves and sticks all over the ice and fans, I think of Jim McTaggart. Was, oh was he gosh. involved in that incident that you're referring to?
4: He was. <clears throat> Jim ruled the roost in the Western Hockey League. And we were petrified of him. Uh, And we had some, like I said, we had some really tough guys. But Jim was, uh, he was in a different weight class. Now, I I will say this. I I hope uh, my story is accurate. Uh, Jim was trying to do the same thing with the Washington Capitals. And I wasn't there, but this is how the story was told to me. He was doing this against the New York Islanders, and I don't know if it was Clarkie or Bob Nystrom, and that whole narrative changed. Nice. I know where you're So he, was, yeah, I know where he you're, was. No longer a big going. man on Nystrom. campus, right? Yes, it was Nystrom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, unfortunately, yeah. Jim met a an opponent that was a lot tougher. And uh, you know, I think of Bob Nystrom, and not the biggest guy, but I remember a fight we were playing in MSG and George McPhee is going to fight Bob Nystrom, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, George, don't do this. Even though Bob Nystrom's my teammate, <clears throat> and I want him to do well, that was a fight I didn't expect. I didn't know George McPhee was in the same weight category as Bob Nystrom. That's one of the best fights I've ever seen in my life, and my respect level for George McPhee changed, because I, I thought he was a really good player. Oh, yeah. I didn't know he was in that, uh, that league. Not a chance. He's a about-
1: all time pound for pounder George McPhee doesn't get mm-hmm. talked about ever, but ask anybody. You know, listen, ask Vancouver Canucks head coach Rick Tockett. What George? Yep. Cause they had a they had a, I think two or three that were just like legendary. Yep. I mean, there were mm-hmm. oh yeah, no no he's 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 raw bone. Um, okay, so I'm glad to have you on today because Elliot and I talked about this in in hour one. Um, I firmly believe that goalie coaches. Should get consideration for the Hockey Hall of Fame. Now, I think Dennis DeJordy might have been the first one with the Detroit Red Wings sometime in the mid in the mid 70s. But I'm thinking of like the uh, the, the the Francois Aires, for example, uh, goalie well, coaches that really helped <clears throat> profoundly change the way. The position is played to the you know we can you know trace trace back a lot of goaltenders to to Patrick Waugh, for example and trace that through through uh, through Francois There, um, yep. what do you think about goalie coaches getting consideration for the Hall of Fame?
4: Well, when I first heard you pose the question at uh, ten thirty my time when I was uh, driving to my coffee shop to get my drink for this conversation, uh, I, it had never occurred to me. But I knew you were going to make the 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 point uh well that you know they should be considered and i do think at some point whether it's a goalie coach or a skills coach or a positional coach at some point they'll have to be considered for the hall because of the the difference all of those people are making uh in the game of hockey now the allaire brothers for sure would be the first two i would think but there are so many goalie coaches out there and i talked to many of them uh that at some point you've got to really put them in the conversation because of the, how they're changing the position in the game of hockey. Well, not just the the yeah. position, but the game of hockey. And and I think now you know moving forward. So goaltenders, that's the the most uh, you know improvement in a position, say in the last twenty years. But now, wouldn't you say the the position that's improved the most in the last five? are the defensemen, right? We've never seen skilled defensemen like this ever in the National Hockey League. So would you say that the skills coaches that are teaching these young defensemen say in 15 years you'll have to have the same conversation about potentially being in the Hall of Fame because of the impact it's had on the the game of hockey? I mean, Cale McCarr and Quinn Hughes and, you know, I'm missing a whole bunch, Adam Fox, all these young defensemen, We've never seen the likes of them, and and I'm saying that, and I played with Dennis Podman, whom I consider perhaps the second-best defenseman to play the game behind Bobby Orr, and I didn't ever play against Bobby, but I watched him, and we're seeing defensemen unlike we've ever had in the game, and it's so exciting, that that's the reason why our game's never been better.
1: You know what you never see out of defensemen really anymore? I mean, occasionally you certainly do, but I, I, I try to pay attention to tiny little things like this. Um, I don't really see, and it's obvious why, because forwards can read it quickly and, and cut against yeah. and, and get themselves an open lane. You don't see defensemen crossing over like you used to. It's all C-cut, C-cut, right. C-cut, C-cut. Like, I, like I'm with you. Like that—that—that's one of the ways that I see this thing changing. You don't because before you know. Okay, galloping backwards, I'm pivoting, I'm turning, and I'm starting yeah. to cross over. Now, if you're a defenseman, you cross your feet, you're dead. Yeah,
4: players just move way
1: too fast. You
4: never, you never mm, see that. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I—I I was talking to Ed Olchick about this a few years ago, and I asked him about that same concept. The very second the defenseman starts that crossover. And then the player goes the other way. I'm kind of thinking like uh, McDavid on Morgan Riley, that incredible play a couple of years ago. Oh, and I asked Eddie, right? Yeah. And I asked Eddie Olchek about that. He said, the other thing I used to look for, Kelly, and I, it never occurred to me, they have a deeper knee bend when you start to cross over. And that was my first indication that I could cut back on a defensive. As soon as I saw that knee bend, I knew he was going to start a crossover. And so I could cut back the other way. But I could be wrong. I'm thinking the defenseman that taught everybody to play without crossing over is Nick Lidstrom. He's the first one that I think of that I don't think I ever saw him cross over once. And that also has changed the game, how you uh, defend uh, and how defensemen play. Now, you still get the odd guy crossing over because they just get caught flat-footed and, and they're in danger. But, yep. yeah, that's, that's another change to the game for sure.
1: That's an interesting one. Okay, so to hockey right now. It's taking us 22 minutes, but we got there. Um, Here's my question. If you're the Calgary Flames right now, and first of all, winners are five of their last six, and the big comeback last night again, uh, and beat the Anaheim Ducks, really happy for Lucic, really happy for for Stone. These are two of the most popular players uh, in the lineup. It's yep. the dreaded four-game week uh, for the Calgary <laughs> Flames. Uh, tomorrow they've got Chicago, and then a big one on Wednesday. Scotiabank Wednesday night hockey against the Winnipeg Jets, and then hockey night in Canada Saturday against the Vancouver Canucks. How do you handle the goaltenders this week, Kelly?
4: What do you do? Yeah, I was thinking about. Here? Yeah, I was thinking about last night after the game. I would go with Gambladar tomorrow, and I'd have Jacob Markstrom in Winnipeg on Wednesday. Now. I heard you and Elliot chatting about you can't play back to back, or Elliot may have said Markstrom can't play back to back. And yeah. you know, I think Markstrom is feeling a little bit of the the workload right now. So I would go with Vladar and then Markstrom. But here's the thing: how the game has also changed. It, coaches are so skeptical to play goalies back to back, and I understand why, because the game's never been played at a higher pace, and you know, the speed, the shots are harder. Yep. But if Again, I'll go back to storytelling, Jeff, you'll remember these days, and Ron McLean and I were sharing this with Kevin BX, uh what, nine days ago, last time Kevin was on the show on Saturday, off camera. <clears throat> back mm-hmm. when I started, uh, in the first round, Jeff, whether that was when it was a best of five or a best of seven, the first four games were played in five nights, right? The first two games were back-to-back. Yep a day off, and then the next two games are back-to-back. And so the workload all of us had to play in the four games in the first five nights. And so I do think part of it is uh, the mental idea of it, but although it's totally exhausting, you can do it. I mean, you can play back-to-back. And I, I I do think that some of the coaches should look at that a little bit more often and say, hey, listen, I know here's kind of the thinking in today's game, and I understand why for all the reasons I said before, But in certain circumstances and the importance of the game, I have no reason why a guy can't play back-to-back.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think it depends on because, I mean, listen, the, uh, the the way we measure the game now says that you shouldn't do that in order to give yourself <laughs> the best opportunity to win. But to, to yep. that end, I always look at it and say, you know, that's a universal and we're dealing with human beings here at the end of it. And I understand what the numbers say, but I kind of go yep. on the basis of that's different from one goaltender to the next. Like what works that's for right. Jacob Markstrom is not, not going to work for Lena Solomark, is not going to work for... I don't know Thatcher Demko is not going to
4: work for Jonathan yeah. Quick. You know what I mean? 100%. That's totally right, you know. And there're certain guys that just thrive under that pressure and uh, the workload and other guys you really got to manage it well and and talk to them and ask them and then, you know, you have to have that great uh, relationship with your goaltender that he he can trust the head coach or the goalie coach and, and be honest and it's is there's no shame in saying hey listen I'm wearing down here and our better option might be to play the other guy tonight even if it's not back to back and there's no shame in that.
1: Um, how has Calgary been able to to do this? Like I, it seemed as if after that Los Angeles Kings game. <laughs> Um, everything kind of changed here for the Calgary Flames and they've turned into a, a, a different team now albeit you know some of the games have been really close and we've had to see some comebacks here and it's not as if they're, they're dusting teams regularly but they're winning you know, you look at the Winnipeg Jets and what they were able to do in the past couple of games, putting up a six-spot every game. Like, that's, that's, that's sending a message. Yep. Calgary's sending a message by piling up points here. How have they been able to do this coming off of that
4: horrible game against the Kings? Looks to me like they're more resilient. They're stronger mentally. And whereas maybe a month or two ago, they would have been in situations like the last two games where they're down by a goal in the third period. And they wouldn't wouldn't barely mount any sort of pressure against the other team. And they would just sort of go away easily in the third period. And I'm I'm noticing a team that has uh, more pushback. They're they're finding ways to get uh, efforts from understated guys or role players, like you mentioned Lucic and Stone coming into the lineup. A guy that we should also mention, he won't get a lot of attention, but, you know, Troy Stetcher has really added a lot to the uh, decor coming over in the, on the yeah. trade deadline. He's really solidified that uh, third pairing. He's played well, so they're getting a lot of depth. And, you know, Michael Backlund, uh, Tyler Toffoli, these guys are just playing lights out right now. Mackenzie Wieger's had a great second half, and so they're getting good performances from a lot of guys right now.
1: Let me finish up with this one, Kelly. I'll let you get on with your day. What if Calgary Flames fans done with this season? Like for those of us that aren't in Calgary, I mean, it, I mean, you know how how it is for 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 cities with with NHL teams. The mood of the city changes when the team is winning, and the mood changes when it is losing. What are Flames fans doing with this team right now? Like, I know at times they've been false started. I get it. You know, okay, yeah. oh, we hit a wall, win a couple <laughs> of games, hit a wall. Yeah. I understand all that. But where are Flames fans at right now about this team?
4: Okay, overall whether I'm at the airport or whether I'm out at dinner with my wife or a local coffee shop, I would say the mood would be overly optimistic. Like they, Everybody is so positive about the team, at least the people that come up to me and share their thoughts about the Flames. They, they really feel that they're going to get into the playoffs, and, uh, you know, they still got quite a mountain to climb. But uh, I would say I thought at some point that it might turn, that people would be more down on the team, but at least the people that have come up to me, I haven't noticed that, and they haven't expressed that to me. So the, the fans are still really positive about the team
1: great Um, big week on the horizon for the Calgary Flames coming off a big weekend uh, for the Calgary Flames Uh, Kelly you're the goods thanks for parking so much time today and listen man like you know I love the stories thanks for sharing some of those beauties (laughs) with me and and all of our listeners and viewers uh, can never get enough of story time with Kelly Rudy thanks so much uh, for stopping by today pal much appreciated
4: thanks Jeff take care my friend
1: there he is the great Kelly Rudy from Hockey in Canada former NHL goaltender as well and someone um, Kelly Kelly fulfills like a couple of different places um, within our group at Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Um, first of all, he's a tremendous broadcaster and a thorough professional and one of the best um, at what he does. But two, um, Kelly's a really positive person around the building and around the rink and around other people. And you really... You really get a sense of that when you're at a, a low point. Um, personally, um, Kelly's the guy that says something to you. Kelly's the guy that sends the note. Kelly's the guy that um, helps out. Kelly's the guy that sort of, you know, helps you, you know, recontextualize your life. And you know, he he leads with uh, he leads with um, how should I say this? He leads with kindness, and he leads with. Uh, compassion um, and he's really smart (laughs) and he's really inspirational and I know that I'm speaking for a lot of people at our shop. Um, Kelly Rudy is one of the most important people at our place of business bar none at any level whether it's on air behind the scenes all of it Rudy is one of the most and maybe the most important person for a lot of people uh, and I count myself as one of them uh, around Sportsnet. Always thank you to Kelly Rudy for stopping by. We'll uh, hit a break here at the bottom of the hour. Uh, The Vegas Golden Knights facing off against the Minnesota Wild. We saw it on Saturday. We're going to see it again tonight. And the coach is doing a game day interview. So thanks to Vegas for making him available. And thanks to Bruce Cassidy for coming aboard. You'll hear him in moments. It is Vegas. It is Minnesota. It is the Golden Knights coach in moments. As the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Keep it here
2: breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the program. want to remind you, three games on the go around the NHL this evening. In Nashville, this is a big one. The Predators facing off against the Dallas Stars as Nashville hopes to keep their playoff hopes alive. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes face off against the Seattle Kraken. And then the Vegas Golden Knights have the early game. They face off against the Minnesota Wild. And for the past couple of seasons, whenever these two teams get together, we always talk about styles, make fights, say that true also about hockey games. And when these two teams mix, um, usually the games are really good. Uh, Bruce Cassidy knows that he's the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, and he joins me now on a game day. Bruce, thanks so much for doing this today; much appreciated. Uh, Thanks, uh, Jeff. Happy
0: to happy to be on. Thanks for
1: having me. Well, um, uh, I've been talking a lot about uh, these two teams, your squad and and the Minnesota Wild, and uh, we saw it on the weekend. And I want to get into Laurent Brossoit here in a couple of moments, but. Um I don't know what it is and you're closer to it than I am. Is there there always seems like there's just something that when Minnesota and Vegas get together and this goes back a couple of seasons now, the games are really good. Is there anything you can put your finger on? The styles of both teams, the personnel, Vegas and Minnesota always produce great games. Do you have a reason why?
0: Uh well, I'm new to it, but we had a good game the the other night and it's usually when we win, I th- I think they're all good games. <laughs> when we win, so uh, but I thought it was entertaining. Good, <laughs> good chances both ways. Yeah, um, we had a we had a good game up here earlier in the year too, coming out of the break. But it was our father's trip, so um, I think that gave us yep. a big boost, and we needed we needed that break. So we came out of it mentally refreshed, and um, yeah, previous years I don't know a bit of it. Uh, you know, Ryan Reeds was in the building the other night. Flurry, they're very very popular. Uh, ex Golden Knights, so yeah, I know uh, you know that that adds a little emotion to it. So um, that could be a little bit too.
1: And and at the end of it, Laurent Boissois stole the show and was full value and has been full value for the Vegas Golden Knights. And you know, I was saying this earlier in the program. Whenever whether it's a goaltender or defenseman or forward um, has hip surgery, I usually give them one season at least one season's grace um just knowing how tough that surgery is and what the rehab is like and coming off of it like it's and we've seen it before like it takes players a while to get back to to being themselves and i look at i look at broiswa and i say to myself this is remarkable i i know that when he when he got back off the surgery it wasn't quite there for him but it certainly is now Uh, what does the coach see in the goaltender right now, Laurent Bossois? And I'm just still stunned that he can play at this level uh, after coming off something as serious as hip surgery.
0: Yeah, well, maybe a blessing in disguise for him was to go to Henderson, um, work through it early on, Mm -hmm. not exposed as much at this level. um, And we didn't know that would play out necessarily. We had Logan Thompson under contract. We traded for Aiden Hill. And they both started so well that we, you know, we kind of just said they'll be just hey, work on your game, you'll get your opportunity, and eventually it came. So I think he'd be the first to say that he's probably uh, pain free for, for the first time in a long time uh, in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the guys that have that surgery uh, usually say that, so that gives you a little, you know, mentally you feel better about your game, and, and the practice hours you can put in too, right? So um, I, I think yeah. he's done all of that, and it showed. Uh, been real good for us patient as well, um, you know, one of many goaltenders we've used, but looks really good right now. And, and you're right, he played really well the other night. I thought Fleury played really well too, especially as the game went on, um, keeping in the game. Mm-hmm. So both goaltenders were on.
1: <laughs> are, there, um, are, there, are there any updates on, uh, on, on Vegas injury, whether it's uh, Smith, whether it's Stone, whether it's Carrier, whether it's Thompson, is there anything you can share with us now?
0: Well, Smith's going to play tonight, so he's good. It was uh, lower body. It was nothing serious, so that we missed him for, I think, three games. But he's back. Um, carrier, no. Uh, Mark Stone is doing his rehab. There's uh, some light skating involved with that right now, so we have no projected timeline for him. But he's coming out of the surgery feeling better, which is always important, whether he plays or not, I don't know. Um, LT and uh, Aiden Hill uh, are going to get on the ice this week if they didn't uh, this morning, I think it was today it was going to be one of the first test days. They're going to have to sort of hit certain marks uh, in their in their rehab before they let them on the ice. So it might be as early as today, but again, um, you know that's baby steps for them.
1: Um, I want to ask you about Chandler Stevenson. and I, I know that you've always encouraged Stevenson to to shoot the puck more. Um, can't pass it in the net i get it we've all heard that one before uh what did you know about stevenson i mean you coached against him certainly in the eastern conference but what did you know about stevenson before you got to vegas and what do you know
0: about him now well not a lot to be honest even though he's in the east because those teams in washington and no disrespect to stevie but you're looking at Kuznetsov, k okay, his line how are you know what i mean backstrom how are going to shut down you know yep. and Eller you know so you know, he's down the list, so to speak, before your game plan. So, um, And then you come here and you realize he's a lot more gifted um, speed and, and uh, playmaking ability than I would have guessed in Washington. More more just because he was playing down in the lineup, right? But if you look at the centers he was behind, you um, understand why. So I think it was a great move by Vegas a couple of years ago to, to bring him in, and he's elevated his game and moved up in the lineup. Um, and, yes, he needs to shoot more. Uh, he's got a good shot, but he always he looks to defer, um, and yep. you know, as as in a playoff series, you got to be careful then because teams know a little bit more about you, right? Now you know start taking away your outlets, so he has to become a dual threat, um, and I believe he will. He can shoot the puck. He just like I said, he he likes to look past uh, first, and um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's uh, that unusual with different centermen throughout the league. Uh, so I think when it's time to shoot, he'll shoot. Um,
1: and uh hopefully it pays off for us. <clears throat> how um how how much um were you involved in trade deadline for the uh for, for the Vegas Golden Knights um uh, you know whether it's you know talking to Kel- Kelly McCrimmon about you know what you need other players that you like Uh, I mean, I think bringing in Barbashev was, you know, low key, one of the best moves that that any team made um, at deadline. I'm curious how much, you know, Bruce, I mean, you know, hockey, you know, the league, you know, all these players. How much were you involved in in conversations with the GM?
0: Well, the the process more or less was leading up to it. I forget, maybe it was a week or two weeks before you, you get a good feel for your team. And okay, where where do we have a need or where could you see one? developing right not more on kelly to, to identify the depth but in the moment the need um we had lost stoney and i think will carrier by the, uh, no Will Carrier was a little later but i thought we needed more of an inside presence type of winger you know we were good down the middle liked our decor goaltending we're sorting through they're all giving us good games but um and that's when Barbashev's name came up and you know then the guys kind of grinded out in the room uh, I always stop and say hello to the scouts, thank them for all the hard work because it's a lot of work leading up to it and then see how it plays out. So um, mine was more an opinion on what was needed, less about a specific player, so to, so to speak, if that makes any sense. Now, obviously, if I had mm-hmm. coached the player before, I'm sure Krim would have said, hey, you know, can you tell us? Something? But um, in terms of Chef, uh Petrangelo played with him, so he knew him well. So there was you know, guys in the room that, you know, could sort of speak to his, his character, which is, you know, outstanding. He's been a, a really good
1: ad. Uh, I like him. I uh, have always liked him. Um, I think a guy like that is exceptional in the playoffs. What do you think that, you know, hockey fans that, that may not know much about Ivan Barbashev should know? Because I mean, listen, we know a lot about you know, Alex Petrangelo and Jack Eichel, and you have a lot of headline players on the Vegas Golden Knights. What should we know about Ivan Barbashev?
0: Uh, makes a lot more plays than you would think. Um, you know, like I remember him in St. Louis from the playoff series in um, in the final in 19, That he was a physical guy they used with Sunquist, I think it was Sammy Blair. Um, and, and they were out there to create energy and play behind you and, you know, punish your defensemen, so to speak. That was his role. So I didn't see a lot of that. Um, puck plays, small area plays on the wall. Like he's really good at getting the puck off the wall into the middle of the ice to Jack with speed, right coming out of our end or in the neutral zone. Mm-hmm. Those little things that sometimes go unnoticed. He's good around the front of the net. Has a real good stick. Hangs in there. Uh, puck recovery skills are good. So I, I would say in tight areas he's a lot better player than you know than than I would have remembered. Um, and and his stats I think from a year ago back that up. He got moved up and you know produced better numbers. So. Um, and that's where we've used him, a little bit out of necessity, and it's where he landed, and we were mm-hmm. prepared to move him around, and he's, he's been on Jack's left side since he got here. So a real good fit for us, um, and he still brings the physicality uh, that, that he was known for, but also an, an offensive defense, uh, dimension. Mm-hmm
1: with Bruce Cassidy, head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, top team in the Western Conference, uh, on their way to the playoffs, and and that means we get to see our first, um, as our first shot at seeing Jack Eichel in the postseason. Uh, how much have you talked to, to Eichel about what the postseason is like? Uh, do you wait for that uh, until you get closer to the to the playoffs, or do you even have any conversations with Eichel at all? How does it work for uh, for Bruce Cassidy and Jack Eichel in that relationship?
0: Well, no, it it started, Jeff, when I first met him last year. When I when I got hired, we talked a bit about, you know, we're in it together type of thing, and this is an opportunity to, uh, you know, for him to, you know, to build build on his legacy. He's had, you know, a a good championship um, pedigree from BU, and he comes into the NHL and haven't got to the playoffs. So we're going to work towards that. So that that's where it started, and the habits that you need uh, to be successful. And so we talked a bit about that, I mean, just generally. And then as the year has gone on, uh, recently we talked about it a bit, just that, the, you know, how every game's a reset, you know, you start over almost and, and you don't let things linger and you adjust for sure, but um, how the momentums can swing in a playoff series. So, <clears throat> but that was it briefly. We're in now, so I'll, we'll start talking about it more as we get closer. But I think Jack knows, I mean, he's been around uh, the game long enough that um, – the words he's heard about it, but it it's, you got to live it right eventually. You just got to live it, and, and you, you'll see yeah. it's another gear, another level. And that's just the way it is. And fighting through uh checks and all that'll be at a you know, that that's the, the, those guys separate themselves, and that'll be the challenge with Jack because he's a star player, he's going to get targeted even more. Um, referees may not give him a break, all those things that you have to push through mentally as well as physically. So mm. that, that'll that be the conversation with him. and and then you know, enjoy it, right? It's not automatic. He he knows that better than anybody. And 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 the Golden Knights lived that last year. It's not automatic. You're in uh, um, Pittsburgh's right on the, the line this year. They've been so used to it, so you just don't know. And uh, that'll be the last part of the message is you know, it's it's supposed to be fun at that time of It's what you work all year for. So don't don't lose sight of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Let me uh, let me ask about your Vegas experience here. 76 games deep, and you know this Vegas Golden Knights team. Uh, has been such a such a bright spot in the uh, in the NHL landscape. Wildly successful um, on the ice and financially as well. Um, the American Hockey League team, you mentioned Henderson earlier. I mean, uh, they're one of the most successful um, AHL teams. I think they're either number one or, or, or number two as, as far as revenue goes um, in the American Hockey League. That's been an enormous success, and we know the expectation is high. Um, for, uh, for both Henderson and the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, what's it like to be a, a, a coach in Vegas? You've been around hockey for a long time, uh, seen a lot of different things, had a lot of different experiences. How does the Vegas experience differ from anywhere else that you've been?
0: Well, it, it's unique in here for me because of, comparing to Boston, right? Boston has all the major sports teams that have been around forever, and obviously they're all competing with one another. And whereas Vegas was is the original, you know, top team. I mean the Raiders just moved here, but they're a transplant, mm-hmm. right? So they're not homegrown, so to speak. So I think that's the thing where Vegas is I truly noticed how attached they are to the team uh from day one. And it's theirs, you know what I mean? Whereas, you know, like I said, the Raiders is it's you know, they're get still going through that process. So that's the first thing I noticed and how many people are truly into hockey? I, I was expecting, okay, it's the desert. You know, they'll have some fans, but I mean, I've played in the rink as a visiting coach, and and it's a great atmosphere. But you wonder what it's like when it, the game's not on, right? When you're just walking around, like in Boston, you see Red Sox hats and, and the Pats and, and yep. the Bruins stuff. Well, here you see Vegas Golden Knights stuff everywhere. So I was like, I was really, I guess, surprised by how big the following is here uh, for hockey. And you know, they're building their youth hockey program, too. You talk about Henderson because my, my kids are in the, the Golden Knights, uh, you know, 12-year and 14-year programs, and they're traveling, and that's how it starts, right? You need an NHL team. Kids get interested, and they follow it. So I think they've done an outstanding job, obviously, branding the team, but now building uh, – the, they're starting to build the grassroots parts for, for mining hockey. So mm-hmm. it won't be long before you'll see a, a kid coming out of here, uh, um, you know, kind of like Matthews out of Arizona. You don't expect those things, and – and uh that, that that's what i've certainly enjoyed about it is it's for everybody
1: yeah i've got a, i've got a couple of kids that play and you know we get all the emails and the you know about you know tournaments all around and i'm always stunned there there's two markets that you know, I kind of say to myself, wow, if I would have got this email 20 years ago, I would have said what's going on? One of them is Nashville and the other is Vegas. Like, yeah. Youth hockey tournaments right. are huge. Youth hockey is is absolutely enormous and it's. Uh, and you're right. like There's going to be an elite level player that comes out of Vegas. Uh, make no mistake about it. Um, listen, Bruce, it's game day. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I know it's a busy time for the Vegas Golden Knights and a busy day facing off against the Minnesota Wild. Thanks so much for stopping by today. Continued success remainder of the season and into the play- Playoffs. Thanks so much for this, Bruce. All
0: right, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate
1: it. Bruce Cassidy is the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, and tonight uh, you can see the Vegas Golden Knights facing off against the Minnesota Wild. Uh, that game gets underway at eight o'clock Eastern. Nashville Predators, man. Keep those hopes alive. Can UC Soros really do this? Like, we've seen this before at UC Soros a couple of seasons ago when it seemed as if Nashville was poised to tear the whole thing down. Uh, Soros, you know, got the team on his back and got him into the playoffs. Nashville Predators facing off against the Dallas Stars. That is a tall order, man, Uh, for the Nashville Predators. uh, But they are not going gentle into that good night. And the Seattle Kraken face off against the Arizona Coyotes. Um, the Coyotes, like another team that we continue to talk about, you know, as much as we're looking at Connor Bedard and Connor Bedard right now. If you haven't uh, paid any attention in the Western Hockey League playoffs, um, his Regina Pats are up on the Saskatoon Blades two games to none. I think it's eight points Bedard has in those two games, and you can't stop watching him because he. You know, there's a there's a magnet on his stick, and uh, the puck is always on Connor Bedard's stick, and he's got, you know, his team up two nothing heading back to Regina here, uh, beating the Saskatoon Blades, a heavily favored team. Um, and as much as that is the prize, uh, don't tell those Arizona Coyotes players, thank you very much, led by Andre Tourney, their head coach. This is a team that works hard game in and game out. I know that they may not have the most talented roster. We all get that, and we know what the ultimate long-term play is here for the Arizona Coyotes, but you'll see it tonight if you watch the Seattle-Arizona game. This Arizona team does not take any nights off, and they continue to work hard. I want to thank all of our guests today, Elliot Friedman, Shane Willis, uh, Carolina Hurricanes trying to widen gap there on the uh, the New Jersey Devils who had a a tough weekend. Um, The gap is now three points as the Carolina Hurricanes look to capture top spot. Thanks to Shane Willis uh, for stopping by the program. Also, thanks to uh, the great Kelly Rudy. I love Kelly because with Kelly, you go anywhere, right? Old stories at WHA, coaches, Hall of Fame. We talked about goalie coaches in the Hall of Fame with Kelly. Talked about the Calgary Flames, what they should do with their goaltending. The nice thing about having Kelly on is you can go anywhere uh, with Rudy, and he has a thought on all of it. There's a bunch of stuff we didn't even get to with Kelly. Uh, and you just heard from Bruce Cassidy, Vegas Golden Knights head coach. A big thank you to him for doing this on game day, because as we know, there are plenty of coaches that won't do anything on game day. And there's also general managers, and I've always found this one kind of funny, who won't do game day interviews. I guess maybe they don't want to give any headlines that could be cause for distraction, perhaps. I don't know. Anyway, thanks to Bruce Cassidy for doing this on a game day. Uh, enjoy the games tonight. Merrick show back on tomorrow. Enjoy.